Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. number 877-381-3811-877-381-3811 the economy is collapsing even some of the so-called experts are out there saying there's 100 percent chance of a recession well you're in a recession the question is whether there's going to be a depression We're beyond a recession. We're beyond inflation. We're now at stagflation, which is a combination of the two, which is extremely complex and difficult to get out of. And uh, I would compare our early discussion of this issue several years back with any other host on radio or TV. None of them brought it up, I'm sure. This is something I've been concerned about a long time. I wrote a book about this, Plunder and Deceit several years back, where we would be headed, and that's where we are. But Joe Biden doesn't have a problem with it. You've heard the let him eat cake. Well, this is the let him eat ice cream. There he is at a Baskin of Robbins in Portland, Oregon. Cut 10, go. One more economic one. Are you concerned about the strength of the dollar right now? I'm not concerned about the strength of the dollar. I'm concerned about the rest of the world. Does that make sense? Yes. Our economy is strong as hell. In the internal. Inflation is worldwide. It's worse off everywhere else in the United States. So the problem is the lack of economic growth and sound policy other countries, not so much ours. That's it's worldwide inflation. It's consequential. He never takes responsibility for his own actions. Never, ever takes responsibility for his own actions. 
We created inflation here in the United States. He did by his spending and his borrowing. He even said that more spending and more borrowing in the last $800 billion the Democrats passed all on their own, and with Manchin in there, that that would reduce inflation. It was a lie. And there he is eating ice cream. Let him eat ice cream. So I want all of you to think about this. If you have somebody in the Oval Office, <coughs> excuse me, cholera, if you have somebody in the Oval Office and a political party that doesn't think you really have much to worry about while you're struggling to make ends meet, who doesn't think you really have much to worry about with energy prices through the roof, even electricity's up 10%. And this winter, home heating oil and natural gas are going to be almost 40% above last year. 40%. Does this man sound like he's concerned about it? Has he changed course on anything? Not in the least. And his party is of that view too. When it comes to the economy, when it comes to inflation... They broke the economy, and they lit a fire to inflation. And they are not going to let your problems on the price of food, the price of gasoline, soon there will be shortages of both, or the value of your home, which apparently is plummeting as interest rates go up. They're not going to let your problems, which are really everybody's problems, get into the way of their ideology. Now, that's what he's saying. I'm eating ice cream, don't bother me. Then there's this jackass, this commie from Vermont, Bernie Sanders, who is a cocky old red, arrogant SOB, and a coward. And a coward. He's never agreed to come on any of my shows because he doesn't want to debate me. None of them do. So here he is on Meet the Press. Now, why would Schmuck Todd have Bernie the Red Sanders on Meet the Depressed? Why? Why? All the candidates out there, others? Because he's promoting them, that's why. Cut 12, go. Senator, do you accept the criticism that the American Rescue Plan passed in in early 2021 contributed to the current inflation issue we're dealing with now? Now, that's called a softball. What a real reporter would do is lay out what the case is against the plan and give him an opportunity to respond. Not just do you accept the criticism. But listen to this fool. Go ahead. No, I don't. Inflation right now, as I'm sure you know, Chuck, is an international problem. So there we go. It's an international problem. We don't have any control over our fate here in America. So if inflation is an international problem, is unemployment an international problem? No. They say unemployment is low. So when there are benefits, when there's credit to be given, just little bits here and there, they take full advantage of it. But otherwise, they blame somebody else. And it's, and it's constant. You know, it was Putin. It was temporary. Now it's worldwide. In the other week, it was the Republicans, you might recall. Go ahead. 
In Germany, it is 10%. UK, it is 10%. Canada, it Germany is 7%. Germany and UK are virtually fully socialist economies. Germany and UK. This is the same idiot who's constantly referring to or pointing to Germany and UK when it comes to national health care. Hey, they got national health care all over Europe. Germany, UK, France. See, see how great it is? But now he points to them as, look, they have problems too. This is how they get away from defending their policies. 20 months ago, we didn't have inflation. 20 months ago, we were energy independent. So Germany, that has an economy that is a small percentage of ours, brought us down. The UK that has an economy that's even smaller than Germany's, they brought us down. What are they talking about? Go ahead. Inflation globally is caused by the pandemic and the break in supply chain. No, it wasn't. Inflation was very low even during the pandemic under Trump. Even during the pandemic. Go ahead. Is uh, caused by, in my view, the war in Ukraine, obviously. Why? Why is inflation caused by the war in Ukraine? Inflation wasn't caused by the war in Afghanistan. During the Trump presidency, we didn't have any inflation, not by the war in Afghanistan. You get my point? It's nothing to do with the war in Ukraine. Go ahead. And it is also caused by incredible corporate greed. And I hope now, every- the corporate greed, this is your typical Karl Marx crap. Corporate greed. Did we have corporate greed three, four, five years ago? If we have corporate greed today, I guess we had corporate greed back then. No, it has to do with communist greed by morons like Bernie Sanders. It has to do with Democrat Party greed. has to do with the federal government greed, not greed by the capitalists. Whatever that means. I don't know what it means. You want to break the backs of the oil companies? Massive drilling, massive refining. That's how you do it if you want to do it, but they don't want to do it. I'm just turning the tables on them. More competition, not less. Go ahead. Understands that when you go to the gas tank, you fill up your, your, your car today, the oil companies are making huge profits. Here's, here's the thing, folks. The federal government has taken more tax revenue this year than ever before in world history. The federal government, for those who pay taxes, takes about 25 to 30% of your income. And not just you directly, but when you purchase things and so forth from other people. It resonates throughout the economy in a highly negative way. It's the federal government that causes interest interest rates to go up. It's the federal government where you're going to be paying almost $700 billion next year on interest on the debt. It's the federal government giving away your money on student loans. It's the federal government that's opened up our borders so your local communities have to spend a fortune, much more than they otherwise would on health care, law enforcement, public education, 
And he dares to talk about corporate greed. You're going to fill up your gas tank. No, no, you did that, Bernie. And on one side of your communist mouth, you go on and on about capitalism, the combustion engine, fossil fuels, how we need to shut it down. Then when you shut it down, the obvious response is, because the laws of economics are the laws of economics, prices shoot up. And then you blame the very same corporations that opposed your position. That made us energy independent. Congress didn't do that. And that provided a fairly low price for gasoline and oil and all the rest of it and a reliable source. You interfered in the market. You did more to damage you, you jerk, did more to damage energy in this country, you and your stupid party and your moronic president, than the Chinese, the Russians, the Iranians, all together. But they always have that that. That foil that they use, the oil companies, the oil companies, it's big oil, it's big pharma, it's big tampon, it's big baby food, it's big, no, it's you and your big mouth, you jerk. Go ahead. The food companies are making huge profits. They, prescription drug, a high pharmaceutical industry making huge profits. he's He's just burning everything down. Bernie Sanders needs to take responsibility. These are his programs that Biden has latched onto. These are your typical European Marxist programs. Typical European Marxist programs. This isn't new stuff, what they're doing. We're just a few years behind. When you all have to go out to the woods and cut and cut some wood so you can have a you know, a, a, a wood-burning stove or something in your home as we regress under the Democrats. It's just appalling. Now, if you support this, you know, you can vote for this. But if you've had enough of it, you're going to attack it. You're going to have to attack it. Here is Cecilia Rouse, another Biden economic advisor. He has more economic advisors, and they're all stupid. They want responsibility for nothing that they've done. Cut 13, go. Let me point to another data point that excludes food and energy, the so-called core inflation number. Uh, President Biden touted that as a sign that the economy was improving, but now it is on the rise, 6.6%, the highest in 40 years. So by President Biden's own logic, doesn't that show that the economy is actually headed in the wrong direction? So if one looks month on month, it was actually flat. Uh, Somebody looks month to month. It's year to year. Do you know why people look year to year? Because it's over 6% year to year. That's core inflation. In other words, it doesn't even count your food costs and your fuel costs, including energy for your home, for your vehicle, Uh, and including food costs. They look year to year because you don't get paycheck changes with your employer, with your business, month to month. Maybe you get them quarterly, maybe you get them year to year, but typically you don't. And so when you look year to year, you're paying 8.6%, 8.2% more as a consumer 
And then you look at the core inflation, and the reason you look at the core inflation, it means it's really here to stay for a long time. So month to month doesn't matter. It's flat month to month. This is how they come up with zero. You've never heard another president talk this way. You've never heard other presidential advisors talk this way in the past. That's not how we measure inflation. And so they change the rules. I've got a lot more to say about this and many other things. We'll be right back. Lovin. Rights, immigration, foreign policy, marriage. These subjects are a big part of political dialogue today. We talk about them often on my show. They're at the heart of so many campaigns this election. But what did our founding fathers say about these issues? We've moved so far from the founders' understanding of government that you'll be surprised by their answers. And my favorite college, Hillsdale College, has the best way to learn about the founders' deep and wise insights into human nature. Today, you can join Hillsdale professors Thomas West and David Azarad as they explore the thoughts and ideas of America's founders in Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Real American Founding, A Conversation. So don't wait, folks. The midterm elections are right around the corner, and you need to understand the founders' thoughts about the pressing issues of their and our time. Watch the trailer video of The Real American Founding, A Conversation. It's a killer. And sign up for this new, completely free online course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. You know, folks, one of the great Austrian economists, Ludwig von Mises, once wrote a very readable and not very long book for those who worry about such things called Marxism Unmasked from Delusion to Destruction. And also, H.G. Wells, you may have heard of him. He interviewed Stalin, and he called his book, I guess, Marxism versus Liberalism, an interview with Stalin, and he tried to reassure Stalin that the New Deal and FDR and these efforts in Western Europe, and especially the United States at the time, economic efforts, that slow but steady move towards economic socialism. And Stalin, of course, said it wouldn't work, wasn't fast enough, it wasn't comprehensive enough, and so forth. But the fact is, you cannot, you cannot completely bifurcate the modern Democrat Party from these European movements of the past. You simply cannot. I'll be right back. Rights, immigration, foreign policy, marriage. These subjects are a big part of political dialogue today. We talk about them often on my show. They're at the heart of so many campaigns this election. But what did our founding fathers say about these issues? We've moved so far from the founders' understanding of government that you'll be surprised by their answers. And my favorite college, Hillsdale College, has the best way to learn about the founders' deep and wise insights into human nature. Today, you can join Hillsdale professors Thomas West and David Azarad 
that as they explore the thoughts and ideas of America's founders in Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Real American Founding, A Conversation. So don't wait, folks. The midterm elections are right around the corner, and you need to understand the founders' thoughts about the pressing issues of their and our time. Watch the trailer video of The Real American Founding, A Conversation. It's a killer. And sign up for this new, completely free online course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. The Mark Levin Show, where we create the talking points. Call in now, 877-381-3811. The FBI is now grabbing people's private property from safe deposit boxes at banks, Mr. Producer. Are you aware of this? Is there no end to this? Is there no limitation on this power? All the civil libertarians are gone, obviously. Or they're in the constitutional movement. They make claim to an individual's assets, and then they go into this bank, and they open all the safe deposit box, empty them all, take them with them, and now you got to go there and fight to get your stuff back. And the FBI hasn't filed a single charge against any of the customers. Not one. Can you imagine? And this gets no attention. All right, I want to address an issue that uh, was promoted by the Daily Mail, that was promoted by Mediate and others. President Trump put a statement out. Um saying this, I'm going to quote it to you. No president has done more for Israel than I have. Somewhat surprisingly, however, our wonderful evangelicals are far more appreciative of this than the people of the Jewish faith, especially those living in the U.S. Those living in Israel, though, are a different story. Highest approval rating in the world, and that is for Trump, and it's true, could easily be P.M., U.S. Jews have to get their act together and appreciate what they have in Israel before it's too late. And so immediately, the media, the left, call this anti-Semitic. Now, I was among the first to call out Yay for his rampant anti-Semitism and to criticize those who refuse to condemn him. Which doesn't mean they're anti-Semitic. It depends what they say or how they say it to make a determination like that, to determine somebody's racist or something of that sort. But clearly, yay is. It's a Jew hater. It's also a nut, in my humble opinion. There is nothing anti-Semitic about what the president posted. Zero. Zero. No president has done more for Israel than I have. True. Somewhat surprisingly, however, our wonderful evangelicals are far more appreciative of this than the people of the Jewish faith, especially those living in the U.S. He's talking about the more secularist Jews, obviously the Orthodox Jews, who are big supporters of what the president done have a different view. So it's not a monolithic viewpoint, but he's right. 
that a large number of American Jews are not appreciative of what this president did. And not enough American Jews are willing to condemn Barack Obama and Joe Biden like I am. He says those living in Israel, though, are a different story. A highest approval rating in the world could easily be PM there. It's true that he has the highest approval rating in the world in Israel. In Israel, Donald Trump is adored. U.S. Jews have to get their act together and appreciate what they have in Israel before it's too late. He's not saying appreciate him. He's not even saying appreciate what he's done. He's saying appreciate what they have in Israel before it's too late. And in that, he's also right. He's also right. Now, the head of the Anti-Defamation League, which used to be a fantastic organization, is now an appendage of the Democrat Party. And the head of it, Jonathan Greenblatt, is an Obama flunky. They should never have appointed an Obama flunky to head the Anti-Defamation League because the truth is Barack Obama, in my view, is an anti-Semite. And he proved it as president. And Greenblatt was a special assistant, as I recall to him. Now, here's what he tweets. We don't need the former president who carries favor with extremists and anti-Semites to lecture us about the U.S.-Israel relationship. It's not about a quid pro quo. It rests on shared values and security interests. This Jew-splaining is insulting and disgusting. It's not Jew-splaining, and you're insulting and disgusting, you political hack. And no, Trump doesn't carry favor with extremists and anti-Semites. As far as I know, you on the left, you like firsts. He's the first president of the United States with a Jewish daughter, with several Jewish grandkids, and a Jewish son-in-law. The president who moved... The American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Your man, Greenblatt, wouldn't do it. Who cut off aid to the Palestinian terrorists because they were attacking Jews. Obama was coddling the Palestinians. Biden's coddling the Palestinians. Obama cut a deal with the Iranians. Biden wants to cut a deal with the Iranians. The Iranians want to wipe the Jews off the face of the earth as well as our country. Now, we don't need lectures from Greenblatt or Mediaite or the other hacks out there. And I certainly don't need definitions about anti-Semitism. They trash Donald Trump left and right. Does the left. Does the left. It's true. It's like every other faith and every other racial group and every other fill-in-the-blank in the the sense of uh, good people, not-so-good people, smart people, not-so-smart people, and that sort of thing, typically. But there's no denying the fact that 70-75% of the Jewish population votes Democrat. Are we supposed to ignore that? There's no denying the fact that over 90% of the black population 
votes Democrat. Are we supposed to ignore that? Why, why ignore it? Isn't it relevant? It's the Democrats who are doing it. The Democrats create these groupings. They give them legal support in many instances. And then when you point it out, oh, look at you. Now, I don't remember them getting all so worked up when Democrat members, prominent Democrat members, promoted by the Democrat Party in the media, spit out absolutely horrid and poisonous Jew-hating comments, like Talib, like Omar. Is that because they're Muslim? I don't know. Or AOC. Or Presley. Is that because they're minorities? You can't criticize them? No, it's because they're Democrats. The Democrat Party has a huge anti-Semitism problem. Huge. But mediate fronts for the Democrats. Jonathan Greenblatt is one of the radical Democrats who worked for Obama. He didn't resign in protest. And I think what Donald Trump is saying here about Israel and Jews in the United States is very, very important. If Jewish people in the United States are not going to back Israel because they don't like Netanyahu or something like that, it creates a huge problem for the state of Israel worldwide. And so my question is, what has Jonathan Greenblatt and the Anti-Defamation League done for the state of Israel? Not a damn thing. What is Mediate and their fraud operation and that clown founder, Dan Abrams? What have they done for the state of Israel? Not a damn thing. How about today? What is Biden doing for the state of Israel? Undermining it. What did Obama do for the state of Israel? Undermine it. And then, of course, Donald Trump in the past has been critical of the New York Times, which had Jewish ownership. Look, I hate to do this, but I have to do it. If I don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. Everyone's afraid, particularly non-Jews. They're afraid. Speak out. I'm speaking out. I'm speaking out against the anti-Semites in the Democrat Party and the media. The New York Times, I mean, there have been multiple books written on this by top professors. The New York Times covered up for the Nazis. They covered up for the Nazis. Franklin Roosevelt refused to allow most Jewish refugees into the United States, even though they hadn't met their cap. This is well documented. He turned back to St. Louis with seven to 800 Jews who had fled on the St. Louis. And he turned them back. And nearly half of them were murdered in the death camps. What do you think of that? Franklin Roosevelt, while he was rounding up Japanese Americans, 
while he was refusing to support anti-lynching bills. That's right, that, that, that Franklin Roosevelt. His State Department was filled with Jew haters. And yet they had a rabbi who was close to Franklin Roosevelt, who was taken by Franklin Roosevelt, so he rarely ever spoke out. His name was Rabbi Katz. They had the head of the Treasury Department, Morgenthau. He was Jewish. He was worried about his relationship with Roosevelt. He barely spoke up. Don't get me started with the Democrats and the left and the phonies at media and the phonies at the ADL. If you ask the Jews in Israel if they'd like Donald Trump back, you better believe they would. So what Trump said was not anti-Semitic. What Kanye West said is and continues to be anti-Semitic. I'm not the judge. I just give you my opinion. What kind of an anti-Semite will be so popular in a Jewish state of Israel? Now, the problem with Jonathan Greenblatt and Dan Abrams is what my wife always says. Their true faith is Democrat Party liberalism. And that goes for many Catholics, too, like Biden and Pelosi, who support abortion on demand funded by the taxpayers, including health care programs that the Catholic Church runs. They should be compelled to pay for abortion. What kind of a Catholic is that? I'm just saying. Either you embrace a faith that believes certain things or you don't. But that doesn't mean the faith should change and the faithful should change to accommodate politicians. And that doesn't mean Catholics should change to accommodate Biden or Jews should should change to accommodate Obama. But this is a tough subject. And most people stay away from it because they know that the art of the big lie practiced by the left will be used against them. They know it. They know that what they say will be taken out of context. They know that the headlines will be made and taken out of context. That's exactly what happened to Trump. Trump hits out at American Jews and tells them to get their act together. And be more like Israelis and appreciate him. That's not what he said. That's the Daily, the daily Mail. That's not what he said. Meanwhile, I'm waiting for the Anti-Defamation League to confront Shatha Hamad. HonestReporting.com, hat tip. Johnny Dollar, Shaman Hatmad has reportedly joked about Adolf Hitler, lavish praise on Palestinian terrorists who have murdered innocent Jews and denied that Israel has any right to exist. And despite this profoundly disturbing social media history, they write, Hamad was recently handed a prestigious journalism award and cash prize by the Kurtz Shork Memorial Fund, KSMF, which is supported by the charitable arm of global wire service Reuters. 
I didn't see this at Mediaite. I didn't see a statement by Jonathan Greenblatt. I didn't see a damn thing if it wasn't for Johnny Dollar. And if it wasn't for honest reporting, we wouldn't even know about this. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Rights, immigration, foreign policy, marriage. These subjects are a big part of political dialogue today. We talk about them often on my show. They're at the heart of so many campaigns this election. But what did our founding fathers say about these issues? We've moved so far from the founders' understanding of government that you'll be surprised by their answers. And my favorite college, Hillsdale College, has the best way to learn about the founders' deep and wise insights into human nature. Today, you can join Hillsdale professors Thomas West and David Azarad as they explore the thoughts and ideas of America's founders in Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Real American Founding, A Conversation. So don't wait, folks. The midterm elections are right around the corner, and you need to understand the founders' thoughts about the pressing issues of their and our time. Watch the trailer video of The Real American Founding, A Conversation. It's a killer. And sign up for this new, completely free online course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. give you a list as long as my arm of the policy positions by Donald Trump and his administration in support of the state of Israel against the tyrannies and the genocidal regimes surrounding that country. I can't think of one thing Barack Obama did. I can't think of one thing Joe Biden did. Nothing. I can't think of anything George W. Bush did. What do you think of that? And so what the Democrats do, whether they're Jewish or other faiths, is they rewrite history. And they lie. And they lie. And that's what they're doing. Doesn't matter what faith they are, that's what they're doing. They'll take any opportunity, any, to exploit it. But I would say to my fellow conservatives, grow a pair. You can defend Trump and condemn Kanye West. Two completely different situations. By the way, Benjamin Netanyahu will be on this program after the top of the hour. We'll be back with the former Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. We're here with one of my favorite people, one of our best guests, Benjamin Netanyahu. How are you, Mr. Prime Minister? I'm fine. Good to talk to you, Mark. It's a pleasure. We had a great chat, I thought, on Fox last night as well. 
And you have a fantastic book out. It's called BB My Story. And what's fantastic about this, this book, folks, is it not only goes through the former prime minister's career as a young person all the way through to today, but it really elaborates on points that need historic elaboration, and it's fascinating. It's a significant book, and it is an intriguing book. And as I understand it, uh, Mr. Prime Minister, you write your books by hand. You don't, you don't use a computer. Is that right? That's correct. Longhand. Longhand. Uh, how do you... How do you and, uh, I think my hand would hurt after a while. <laughs> yep, I suppose I have strong hands. But uh, I wrote it in... <laughs> I wrote it in the uh, Knesset sessions, our parliamentary budget... Uh, uh, deliberations which go on and on and you could just sit there and lose your mind or you can write a book so I did <laughs> or in uh, you know in political meetings uh, during this very turbulent year that we brought down this government and brought new elections I wrote it while careening on swirling roads in the Galilee uh, you know sitting and just writing as we go along and uh, it was uh, actually a uh, very enjoyable, I have to tell you. I enjoyed it. Now, uh, Mr. Prime Minister, let's, let's start this way. You have an election coming up very, very shortly. Can you tell America about that? I'm not sure Americans understand how this works. Well, we have a parliamentary system, so anytime you can get uh, uh, the majority of the parliament, which in our case is 61 seats, uh, to vote uh, to bring down uh, the government, you can do that, and that's what happened. I was uh, um, I was leading the opposition as I was writing this book of my journey through life and for Israel to secure the future of Israel. I uh, also led this uh, effort to bring down the government, and now in two weeks, people will choose again, and I hope this time that we'll make it. I uh, I, I think that's important for Israel. And I'm doing my best to do that as we speak, actually. You have this number one threat, which is Iran. You talk about this in your book, BB My Story. Right. We now have uh, another president in the United States who seems to be trying to appease Iran. He came to the United States to fight Barack Obama's position on appeasing Iran. Where do things stand now? Well, I think that what his, uh, I think the American plan was to sign this uh, very bad deal that President Trump uh, uh, happily left, uh, and he applied crippling sanctions, uh, and I think uh, posed also a credible military threat to Iran, which is the only way you stop these nuclear rogue regimes that threaten America. Remember, Iran chants death to Israel, death to America, but Israel, as they call it, is the small Satan, and you're the great Satan. So if Iran were to have nuclear-tipped missiles that could reach any American city, this would change history. And that's why I came under a previous president, President Obama, to the U.S. Congress, to a joint session of Congress, and I spoke out firmly against this agreement. And uh, this was in 2015. And two things happened. One is that the Arab countries, especially in the Gulf, took note, and they said, if you're willing to stand up to the wrong policy that threatens us as well, because Iran threatens them too, then we'd like to meet with you. And that's, that really led to what 
finally uh, blossomed into the historic Abraham Accords. So that was one thing. The second thing that happened was that a year later, the American presidency changed hands. And President Trump agreed with me that this was a bad deal, the lousiest deal, as I quote him in my book, uh, that he's ever seen. And he agreed with me that it's important to leave uh, this agreement. That, unfortunately, I think has been changed. But uh, I think the, uh, what is the, uh, if I can say this, Trump things up in the plans to resuscitate this horrible deal is the, are the brave men and women of Iran who took to the streets against this repressive regime. And I think it would just be a hard sell right now to, uh, to sell a return to this dangerous nuclear deal. So we still have Iran there. We still have it seeking with a deal, without a deal, to arm itself with nuclear weapons. And that remains one of the foremost challenges of our time, to prevent this uh, Islamist uh, fanatic regime committed to our mutual destruction from having the means to carry out this plan. You write in your book at some length and in different places about your foreign policy, about diplomacy, about this, I'll call it this Iron Triangle, I believe you call it. The uh, You also talk about hard power and soft power. Would you explain that, please? Well, I, I think this is one of the differences I had with uh, President Obama. Uh, I think he believed uh, that the way you can assure that the arc of history bends towards justice is first with soft power, that is with superior, um, superior values, uh, superior uh, culture, and so on. And I always believed that uh, soft power by itself is not enough, that the forces of evil and the forces of darkness have often overcome the forces of good by having superior military and economic power. And if they have it, they'll quash you. So I thought that soft power is not enough. You have to have also hard power, namely uh, overwhelming military and economic power to defeat or stave off the forces of darkness. And I, I think that's, that's where we differ. The, the relationship between power and peace is, uh, I think, exemplified in this difference. Uh, I think Obama believed that peace brings power, and I believe that power brings peace. I also believe that power maintains the peace, especially uh, opposite non-democratic regimes. You have to constantly be strong to maintain the peace. So uh, with President Trump, we worked on the Abraham Accords that changed uh, the Middle East. For 72 years, Israel had two peace treaties, only two peace treaties. And once we approached the, the formula of peace through power, uh, uh, the, in fact, what happened is that uh, we got four peace treaties in four months. And... We proved that when an American president and an Israeli prime minister work in tandem, we can get uh, peace through strength, and actually we get both. We become, we achieve a broader peace, and we come out stronger. And you write about these three points of this triangle of uh, this model that is important to yeah. use. And what is that model? Well, I, I, if you want to have hard power, you have to have uh, drones, aircraft, fighter aircraft, submarines, uh, intel, cyber. There's one characteristic that uh, applies to all of them. They cost money, a lot of money. So where are you going to get the funds to, to uh, uh, pay for, these, for this hard power? 
Well, in traditional terms, uh, certainly in semi-socialist Israel, people say, well, of course you tax the people, tax the rich, whatever, okay? And I said, no, that's not going to work, because if you raise taxes too high, there's no incentive to work, no incentive to invest, and so you end up with less money, not more money. So the prerequisite for hard power for me was a free economy, uh, a robust economy, which means a free market economy. And I described in the book how I had to lead the free market revolution, transferring Israel from a semi-socialist state to one of the most uh, thriving and robust uh, free market capitalist states in the world. Israel has become, with these free market reforms, uh, a, a juggernaut, really a powerhouse of innovation and enterprise with thousands and thousands of startups. And we've gone up the ladder of nations. We, Our GDP per capita, when I began this, uh, uh, this revolution uh, 20 years ago, uh, we were you know, at $17,000 per GDP per capita. That's our income per capita per person. We were behind almost all the European countries. Now we're $54,000. We're ahead of Britain, France, Japan, Canada, and most recently, Germany. So capitalism works. This is the core foundation. A free economy is the core foundation of a strong military. And then the two of them can be combined to have strong diplomacy, strong political context in the world, because many nations now look at Israel not as a supplicant that asks for favors, but they come to us and ask for favors. They want to enjoy both our military prowess, uh, our intelligence prowess against terrorism. We've saved uh, countless lives, American lives, other lives, by our superior anti-terror intelligence. And they also want to partake in our uh, civilian uh, know-how, in our civilian innovation. And so you have this iron triangle that I call the iron triangle of peace. Economic power, military power, diplomatic power combined. And they, that's what produced the, uh, uh, that was the bedrock of the Abraham Accords, that the Arab states realized that Israel is an asset to them and one that can help defend them against Iran and also provide, through technology, a better life for their people. This is the Iron Triangle of Peace. The book is absolutely fantastic. BB, my story. You can get it on Amazon.com. Uh, I'm trying to find my list here. And there are other places you can get it, too. And uh, But Amazon.com, to me, or bbmystory.com, bbmystory.com or amazon.com. Mr. Prime Minister, I want to take a short break. And when we come back, the American people can tell you have great English. You sound like an American. You know, there are, there are Israelis who sound like Brits. Uh, I remember Abba Eben sounded like he was actually born in London. Uh, but you sound like an American, and I want people to understand your significant uh, ties to America when we return. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. With the upcoming midterms, keep something in mind. You don't just vote at the ballot box. You vote with your every dollar you spend and the companies you spend them with. Verizon Wireless customers, you're supporting a company that dropped One American News. 
AT&T customers, your company owns far-left CNN. And T-Mobile, your CEO reportedly advised Democrats on how to beat Trump. Don't give your money to woke wireless companies. Instead, choose Pure Talk, a company that believes in family values. And they also believe in giving you great service at a low cost, like unlimited talk, text, and plenty of data for just 30 bucks a month. Average family saves almost $1,000 a year. I'm a Pure Talk customer, folks. Here's what I like. Same network. Network, same coverage, same phone, lower bill, and 30 days risk-free. Switching can take just 10 minutes. It's a no-brainer. Show corporate America you're done funding their leftist policies. Go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast to save 50% off your first month. Again, puretalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast, L-E-V-I-N Podcast, and make the switch to my company, Pure Talk. The book is BB My Story. I'm telling you, it is gripping as hell. You can get it on Amazon.com or BBMyStory.com. It is a fantastic book. Very, very relevant to Americans, by the way. And uh, I want to thank the Prime Minister. It's some god-awful hour there, like 2.30 in the morning, give or take, in uh, Israel. We appreciate it. Uh, Mr. Prime Minister, the United States, you have some roots in the United States, don't you? Yes, indeed. I, I um, actually, my great grandfather emigrated to the United States in, uh, in the 1870s, uh, and after um, after he made money trading furs with uh, Native Americans in Minnesota, he decided to realize his lifelong dream, and he emigrated to the land of Zion, to pre-state Israel, to the Holy Land, uh, in uh, the 1890s, um, and he. Uh, you know, this was unusual. He may have been the only uh, American immigrant, uh, the only American Jewish immigrant to uh, the Holy Land in the 19th century because Jews typically immigrated to America, not immigrated from America. But he wanted to, to be in the ancestral homeland of the Jewish people, so he came in, and shortly afterwards, uh, his daughter, uh, who married my, uh, my grandfather, whose name was Benjamin, uh, came after him. Um, so my mother was originally born, actually, in pre-state Israel, 1912. But uh, uh, but later, after the First World War, came back to Minnesota for a spell, and that's where she learned English. So that was very happy, uh, fortunate for me, because, of course, I was born in Israel. I grew up in Israel. But at the age of nine, my father, who was a historian, uh, decided to take two years' uh, leave of absence. He was the editor of our version of the Encyclopedia, uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, very successful enterprise, but he wanted to take two years off to do his historical research. And that's where I got to America. Now, I'm nine years old. I haven't, I don't know a word of English, a word of English. I mean, I'm put in this, <laughs> this school, strange tribes, you know, in, the, uh, in Manhattan. They have uh, these uh, fenced-off courts where people play the strange game of baseball. And I can't communicate with anyone, so uh, I was happy. I was two two uh, 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 females I could say helped me out. One a little girl, and one my mother. The little girl who helped me out was named Judy. The teachers put her next to me, and she took out a book which I remember as, a, as if it happened today. And it, it's a picture book, and it said, "This is Spot. Spot is a dog. <laughs> run, Spot, run." Okay, so she helped me. Every day to learn, to learn English, and my mother uh, 
who had uh, grown up in Minnesota, not only taught me English, but she taught me uh, all sorts of proverbs like, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. And I was sure mm-hmm. this was part of our Jewish heritage. I, I didn't know that she <laughs> learned it from her Scandinavian neighbors in Minnesota. Anyway, I picked up English, and uh, that helped me um, in later years, obviously, um, when I came back to the United States after uh, completing my uh, my uh, education, really, my um, uh, from the age of 14 up to the age of 14, I was back in Israel and then did high school in the United States. So I had an opportunity to uh, to perfect my English. Tell us about the Sabina airliner hijacking and then the uh, your brother Yanni, what he meant to you, and then Antebi a few years after that. My brother was a, a, a person you read about in books, but you don't believe really exists in life. But he was that. It, you know, he comes around. Very few people like that come around in a century. He was uh, a hero in his lifetime. He didn't have to uh, die to become a legend. He already was a legend. Uh, he had been wounded in the Six-Day War uh, three hours before the end of the war while trying to rescue a, a fellow soldier. And... I was delighted with that because I had a premonition that he would die young, and his his uh, elbow was shattered when I visited him in a hospital in the north of Israel. I was 18, just about ready to join the army. He was already a, a lieutenant, uh, a reserve lieutenant in the paratroops. He had finished his basic service, and he had this elbow smashed, and I saw him when I walked into the hospital ward, the orthopedic ward, he was probably the only one without amputated limbs. Uh, So I breathed a sigh of relief, but I was actually relieved because I knew that he would never face, he would never face the the hell of war that, uh, in which he nearly died. So uh, he left uh, after the war and went to Harvard where he did, after a year he joined, he, he made the dean's list. He was an exceptional student. Uh, very, very intelligent. Uh, but he said, I, I can't stay here. I have to come back to Israel and be with my friends because the war of terror was beginning at that time. And so he came back to Israel and continued his uh, studies in the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, uh, mathematics and philosophy. Uh, and now I was in the army. I was younger than him. And I joined this special forces unit. And I was taking part in all these raids, which I described uh, in Beirut Airport, in uh, Suez Canal, and uh, all sorts of things, and, uh, in all sorts of countries around us. Uh, and he uh, he took in all my stories to the extent that I could reveal them in a secret unit, which I was limited in doing. Uh, but one day, I was asked by the commander of the unit, it was a very small unit, I want you to uh, hold it right there, because I have to take a break, unfortunately. All right, sure. But this is the right place to wait. So he's approached by the commander of his unit to do what? When we come back, you're going to find out. The book is BB My Story. You can go to Amazon.com. You can get it there immediately. BBMyStory.com. Either one. The book comes out tomorrow. Get it right away. We'll be right back. With the upcoming midterms, keep something in mind. You don't just vote at the ballot box. You vote with your every dollar you spend and the companies you spend them with. Verizon Wireless customers, you're supporting a company that dropped One American News. 
AT&T customers, your company owns far-left CNN. And T-Mobile, your CEO reportedly advised Democrats on how to beat Trump. Don't give your money to woke wireless companies. Instead, choose Pure Talk, a company that believes in family values. And they also believe in giving you great service at a low cost, like unlimited talk, text, and plenty of data for just 30 bucks a month. Average family saves almost $1,000 a year. I'm a Pure Talk customer, folks. Here's what I like. Same network, same coverage, same phone, lower bill, and 30 30 days risk-free. Switching can take just 10 minutes. It's a no-brainer. Show corporate America you're done funding their leftist policies. Go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast to save 50% off your first month. Again, puretalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast, L-E-V-I-N Podcast, and make the switch to my company, Pure Talk. We are back with Benjamin Netanyahu, former Prime Minister of Israel, hopefully future Prime Minister of Israel. Fantastic book, as you can tell. BB My Story. You can get it at bbmystory.com, bbmystory.com. You can go to amazon.com, where it's number two right now, number one nonfiction. I strongly encourage you to grab your copy now, because it's fantastic. I got this book about, whoa, three and a half weeks ago, and I couldn't put it down. There's a lot in here we're not going to get to involving various presidents of the United States and negotiations and behind-the-scenes things. It's not a kiss-and-tell book. That's good. But it is a book about history and events, and, and the context is provided, things that you probably have not heard before. I know you have not heard before. So, Mr. Prime Minister, you were saying, so your commander contacts you, and what happens? Well, this is 1968. He calls me into his office a year after I entered this uh, elite unit, which is something like a combination of Navy SEALs, Delta Force, and the British SAS. It's, it's, very, it's a very small unit, very small. No more than 100 fighters at any time. And it, it's tasked with the most clandestine and complex missions. And he tells me, uh, I come into his office and he says, Bibi, you're going to officer school. And I said, I'm not. He said, why not? He said, well... I'm already committed to three years, which is no normal service, but to be an officer in the unit, you have to sign up for another two. And I uh, was very lucky to have Yale University uh, accept me three years in advance. It's not done at all every uh, at any time, and I couldn't ask them to wait for me for another two years. He said, you're gone, and I said, I'm not. And he was very intense. He said, look, you have a weekend pass. If you don't come back on Sunday, and you tell me that you're going to officer school, I'm throwing you out of the unit. Now, that's a fate worse than death. So in my uh, great predicament, I went to see my older brother, who was now um, a disabled veteran after the Six-Day War, studying um, in the Hebrew University. And I said, well, what should I do? What should I tell the commander? And he thought for a minute. And then he said, tell him I'll go in your place. And I said, you? You're you're a disa- you're disabled. You you can't you know he could never fully use his uh, arm, uh, couldn't open his elbow uh, to the full extent. Uh, and besides, you're old. You know, old. He was 23 years <laughs> old. Just to understand how old he was at that time, right? Uh, and uh, and so I had my qualms that he was married. I said, uh, uh, why should the commander accept you? And he said, just tell him to pull my file. 
Now, I come back uh, after the weekend, and the commander calls me, and he said, so, have you decided? And I said, yes, I'm not going, but my brother is willing to come in, in, my, in my place. He said, who's your brother? I said, his name is Yoni, Jonathan. Uh, here's, uh, why don't you pull his file? He did, and he saw that uh, Yoni had been the outstanding cadet in officer school, and he was uh, just... His file had lavish praise on him from his commanders. He was a tested, uh, uh, tested commander under in battle. Uh, so he decided, okay, he accepted the idea. But now the problem is, how, how, how do you get him through the Army induction medical exam when you, <laughs> he was disabled, partly disabled? Well, I don't know if they deliberately did this, but the unit, which is very uh, creative, uh, they found the doctor, the examining doctor, was a recent immigrant from France, and he misread the word for uh, elbow for somehow he thought it was knee. He looked at one of Yoni's knees, fine, <laughs> the other knee, fine. Now Yoni was in the unit. So now the two of us were there, and shortly thereafter I went to officer school anyway. I did, I did it, apologized to Yale. Uh, and and uh, so now we were two officers in the unit, which created a lot of problems. One of the problems occurred when um, a plane was hijacked from uh, uh, an Israeli-bound uh, plane, Sabina Airline, was hijacked with uh, four uh, terrorists, two uh, Palestinian men, two Palestinian women, landed in Israel, and they were going to kill, blow up the plane with, uh, with all the passengers unless Israel submitted to their demand to release jailed terrorists and fly them out to a country of their choice. Uh, I... Uh, went to the airport when I heard about this. The unit was already there. It had punctured the tires of the plane. And Moshe Dayan, who was uh, the defense minister, was negotiating with the terrorists, uh, supposedly agreeing to their terms, uh, but really buying time for uh, a few of us from the unit to practice how to storm an airplane. Now, I didn't know how to storm an airplane. I didn't even know that it had these entrances that you can you can get on the wing punch the, the door and it bounces out and there are maybe a dozen other entrances uh, around the plane under the cockpit and so on. So we had 16 men uh, dressed up as mechanics. We were going to fix the plane. That's what Diane agreed with these guys, with these terrorists. And, uh, uh, and we would hide pistols in our boots uh, under the mechanics' overalls uh, in order to uh, surprise them and storm simultaneously from the entrances. So we're about to go, set to go. And then Yoni, who was by that time uh, a senior commander in the unit, not with a specific team, but responsible for many teams, he comes to me and he said, uh, he said, Bibi, I'm going to. I said, you can't go. Uh, he said, why not? I said, because I'm going. So he said, so I'll take your place. And I said, no, these are my soldiers. I'm going to lead them. And he said, so we'll both go. And I, uh, uh, I said, Yoni, can you, do you understand what you're saying? Think about mother and father. If one of us or the two of us get killed, uh, that's, think about them. And then he said something I'll never forget. He said, Bibi, my life is my own and my death in my, is my own. And that is my decision. Uh, he had this iron determination. And, uh, of course, we disagreed, so we went to the unit commander, who was at that time Ehud Barak. The fact that Yoni was, uh, uh, more, had more combat experience than anyone in the 
in the unit was irrelevant in my mind. Uh, what was relevant was that we shouldn't have two brothers in the same, you know, close quarters. Anyway, Barack decided in my favor. Nayoni is uh, left behind, uh, and he's very frustrated. There's a little fill clip of him that you can see. He's walking like a, a, a lion caged. <laughs> he's very frustrated. We, uh, 16 fighters dressed up as mechanics, get up on a, a baggage train. We get to uh, 100 meters from the plane. The terrorists are watching us from the cockpit and from the, uh, the open door, the front door. Uh, a Red Cross guy frisks us. This was agreed upon just to make sure the mechanics are unarmed. He touches the uh, the boots, my boots, and he feels this little pistol, Beretta pistol, and he says in French, uh, Mon Dieu, my God, to which I replied in my halting French, uh, Dieu est grand, God is great. He didn't spill the beans. We were let through. I climbed on the wing with two other soldiers, uh, ready for uh, the whistle that uh, Barack, who was standing on the tarmac, would uh, would uh, blow, so we would all lunge in at the same time. Uh, well, the guy next to me, one of the guys attached to me, was a unit veteran who was uh, an air marshal, and he suddenly says to me, uh, "Bibi, you gotta you gotta tell the commander to stop the operation." I said, "What happened?" He said, "Well, it's nothing, but you know, I flew in here." Um, on, on a flight from London. The plane was packed. I, I couldn't go to the bathroom. And as soon as I landed, you guys picked me off to join join this uh, rescue. And I said, you have to go now? He said, yeah, now. I said, big or small? He said, big. Yes. I jumped off the plane, went to uh, the commander, and I said, uh, look, uh, this guy needs to, uh, needs to go. Uh, he said, okay. So he jumped over uh, under the fuselage, relieved himself. Now we're back on the wings. Commander blows the whistle. We punch. We burst in. The terrorists fire at us, uh, killing a young woman, a young mother, who was right next to the door where we were. Uh, but the other teams got him. And we, had, uh, we, had, uh, we killed the two uh, men, but there were two women. And they could blow up the plane with the chargers. So I was running in the aisle and I said uh, and all of a sudden one of the passengers said here here's one of them and I yanked this woman by her hair uh, and I ended up holding a wig so I yanked her again by the hair and I said where are the charges another unit veteran who was uh, who was also an air marshal runs towards me and he says Bibi let me handle her and he pistol whips her in the face uh, with a, a cocked gun. So that let out a single bullet which tore through her and lodged right into my uh, <laughs> into my arm and I felt like I was hit by a sledgehammer. They took me off the plane. Uh, this whole thing lasted two minutes. We killed the two passengers, found the two women, and the, the charges weren't blown off and uh, so we'd completed this thing. But I'm lying on the tarmac, uh, received a, a morphine shot from the medic uh, to ease the pain, and I see Yoni running towards me with a terrible look of distress on his face, and as he approaches me, he stands above me, and he he sees that I have this splatter of red blood on my arm, on the white overalls, and he looks at me, and this broad grin spreads on his face, and he says, See, Bibi, I told you not to go. So mm-hmm. the, 
So that was, that was uh, I guess he had a premonition about me of the kind that I had about him. Uh, as a result of Sabena, the uh, hijackers, Palestinian terrorists, no longer landed planes in Israel. But four years later, they landed a plane in the heart of Africa, in Uganda. And I want to pick up right there. Believing that they would be safe. I have to take a quick break, and we'll have our final segment, which is the final segment of the hour with the former Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. This is absolutely intriguing to me. His fantastic book, Bibi My Story, Bibi My Story. You can get it at Amazon.com. You can get it at BBMyStory.com. The book comes out at midnight tonight, U.S. time. So if you want to order it, order it right away so it can be delivered to you right away. Amazon.com or BBMyStory.com. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. With the upcoming midterms, keep something in mind. You don't just vote at the ballot box. You vote with your every dollar you spend and the companies you spend them with. Verizon Wireless customers, you're supporting a company that dropped One American News. AT&T customers, your company owns far-left CNN. And T-Mobile, your CEO reportedly advised Democrats on how to beat Trump. Don't give your money to woke wireless companies. Instead, choose Pure Talk, a company that believes in family values. And they also believe in giving you great service at a low cost, like unlimited talk, text, and plenty of data for just 30 bucks a month. Average family saves almost $1,000 a year. I'm a Pure Talk customer, folks. Here's what I like. Same network. Work, same coverage, same phone, lower bill, and 30 days risk-free. Switching can take just 10 minutes. It's a no-brainer. Show corporate America you're done funding their leftist policies. Go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast to save 50% off your first month. Again, puretalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast, L-E-V-I-N Podcast, and make the switch to my company, Pure Talk. The book is BB My Story. You can get it on Amazon.com or BBMyStory.com. It comes out at noon. Excuse me, noon. It comes out at midnight tonight. So grab your copy while you can. You're hearing the Prime Minister talk about these different stories. This book covers a ton of information. It's all very, very compelling, very entertaining, and very serious as well. So, Mr. Prime Minister Entebbe. Tell us about that and your, your brother, Yoni. Well, in 1976, in the bicentennial of the United States, July 4th, uh, the terrorists who had uh, previously tried to hijack a plane and brought it to Tel Aviv, and we foiled it four years earlier in the Sabina rescue, now thought that they would be safe by taking an Israeli-bound plane to, uh, uh, to the heart of Africa, in Entebbe, Uganda. Uh, my brother, Yoni was by that time the commander of the unit. I had already left. I went to study in MIT in Boston. And uh, Yoni led his men uh, in the dark of night, landed in the airport, uh, killed the uh, the terrorists, the Ugandan guards, the, the army that was supporting them, uh, liberated 103 hostages. Uh, but the one civilian casualty, uh, military casualty, was Yoni, who led his men uh, storming the terrorists. This was, for me, uh, something that obviously changed my life. It was, I, I'm, I wasn't sure that I would uh, be able to uh, 
live after that, how I would live, but I found the example of Yoni's sacrifice and heroism uh, helped me overcome inconsolable grief and directed my life to first trying to mobilize the West uh, to uh, take on international terrorism, and especially the states that sponsored and organized it, and later led me to become Israel's longest-serving prime minister. So this book covers, uh, obviously, my early life as a, as a soldier and later as a diplomat uh, with some stints in business and what I'd learned through these, uh, uh, these experiences. But obviously, it concentrates on my years, uh, the latter part, on my years uh, as prime minister, the, uh, the turbulent times that I had to go through with uh, successive uh, U.S. presidents, some less friendly than others. But, uh, you know, I'd been shot at. Uh, I had nearly drowned in the Suez Canal in a firefight. I was bitten by a scorpion. I uh, nearly ran with a jeep uh, into uh, a fighter aircraft taking off in a military airbase. Uh, and so you sometimes think, well, uh, you know, is there a purpose behind the fact that I stayed alive and happily also my men stayed alive? Uh, is there such a thing as a life of purpose? And I think there is. I think millions of people around the world, Jews, evangelicals, and many others, see the story of Israel as one that is uh, is embedded with purpose. The ingathering of the exiles prophesied in the Bible, the uh, idea of the resuscitation of the Jewish people in their own independent state after the worst horrors inflicted on any people in history, including the Holocaust, there is uh, a parable in the story of Israel, and that is that if the Jewish people are able to overcome the worst uh, horrors uh, of history, then there's hope for everyone. And I think that's why Israel captures the imagination of so many in America, not only because we fight the same enemies, we serve the same interests, we share the same values, but also because, uh, because Israel's battle for survival uh, and for cementing its place among the nations, I think, tells you that civilization can overcome barbarism, that freedom can overcome slavery, that free people, uh, if they muster their will, their resolve, and their courage, can overcome the most threatening odds. Uh, and I think this is a story that might find interest, too, for those who uh, readers who seek a life of purpose. I think they'll glean a lot of insights uh, from from my story, because I have lived a life of purpose. You sure have, and you've got a lot more to go. And uh, I want to wish you, I know on behalf of this audience, good luck in the next couple of weeks as you uh, as you run for election again to, uh, you don't actually run for the position of prime minister, but we get it, and we hope you become the next prime minister of the Likud party. And... Um, the book is BB My Story. You can get it at Amazon.com or BBMyStory.com. And Mr. Prime Minister, it's almost three in the morning there, and I want to thank you very, very much for your time. I'm sure the American people listening in really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. And, and God bless America. God bless Israel. We have a great alliance between us, and may it continue for many, Amen. many years. Amen. God bless you. Have a good evening. Well, you heard it. Have you ever heard anybody like that talk for an hour and then you want to hear five more hours, Mr. Producer? Isn't it fantastic? 
he would be a great radio host, quite frankly. But it's more important what he's doing. And, uh, you know, the media in Israel is just as rotten and lousy as our media. And the rogue prosecutors and investigators in Israel just as rotten as our rogue investigators and prosecutors, too. That is a great man. That's a historical figure. We'll be right back. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in America with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, house plants, much, much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. My wife Julie and I decided it was time to add more flowering trees to our landscape, and Fast Growing Tree was a great resource for us. A large selection and no hassle ordering or shipping. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on selected plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEVIN at checkout. L-E-V-I-N. Now that's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code LEVIN at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code L-E-V-I-N. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Please visit fastgrowingtrees.com for details. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to ask you a question. Did you know withdrawing your cash from the bank can be very risky? That's right. Banks are now required to spy on us for the government, and they report any behavior they think is suspicious. It's true. And I was shocked when I read the secret war on cash from Swiss America. The new war against cash is really a war against the Constitution, against all freedom-loving Americans. So you need to read the war on cash. Get your free copy by calling 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, or visit SwissAmerica.com. Now, this war on cash is growing daily and also includes all forms of digital money. Please get and read The Secret War on Cash free to my listeners by calling now, 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, or visit SwissAmerica.com. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I'm being asked, so let me tell you. The book, again, is BB My Story. You can get it at Amazon.com or BBMyStory.com. As you know, I don't normally spend an hour on a guest, but that guest I could have spent three hours with, the Prime Minister, and it's very, very late in Israel, so we appreciate his time. We've got a lot more to jump into here, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes I'm not sure what order to go into, but we manage to work it out, don't we? Alaska Republicans call on Kentucky GOP to censure Mitch McConnell over party interference. By, by the way, I think I heard somebody say today 
And I don't even remember who it is, Mr. Producer. Mr. Producer will remind me, so I won't repeat it. That he or they have now shown how to bring levity and even comedy to the right, to conservatism. And I thought to myself, did this person or these people ever listen to Rush Limbaugh, Mr. Producer? Yeah, I'm not going to mention. And um, that was one of Rush's great talents among many. He was able to to humiliate the left, if you will. He was able to bring comedy. You remember the skits he had and the, and the names he would call that, that he would make up and all the rest of it. He was hilarious. Hilarious. So I would suggest these, these folks, every now and then, give credit where credit's due and a little tip of the hat. In some ways, I think some conservatives act like liberals. They think the world begins with them. And it doesn't, and it didn't. But one of the reasons Rush had the biggest audience of all time is because you liked him, you liked his personality, you liked the way he analyzed things, and he was entertaining, he was funny. I'm not Rush. I do the best I can. I do the best I can. But I'm not Babe Ruth either. I can't be Babe Ruth. I can't be Rush. They're in the league of their own. I'm Mark Levin, little Mark Levin. But I just wanted to point that out because Rush brought a lot of humor to what he did. And he used it in a brilliant, brilliant way. And let me suggest that people who are doing it today, and I'm glad they are, and he'd be glad they are. Just a little bit of credit where credit's due. Tip of the hat. Way too much narcissism on the left. We don't need it either. I mentioned that we had invited Marco Rubio. We can't seem to reach Marco on the program. Uh, no response, so we will continue to help other candidates. Also, we have Mr. Producer has reached out to Carrie Lake, her family directly, uh, and there's been absolutely no response there either. I don't know the problem. That said, we'll continue to move on and help candidates. We think of a shot who aren't, you know, 15, 20 points behind. Maybe they're seven, six, five, three. Maybe they're slightly ahead. We've got to shore things up. And we have in the next week, this week, next week, and the week after, a long list of individuals who we are going to continue to assist. Now, Alaska Republicans, this is in the Federalist, calling Kentucky GOP to censure Mitch McConnell over party interference by Tristan Justice. We like Tristan here. Alaska Republicans are calling on the Kentucky GOP to formally censure Senator Mitch McConnell 
for the bluegrass senator's interference in the Alaskan Senate contest against the party-endorsed candidate. It, it's outrageous that a senator from Kentucky, I don't care what the hell position he holds in Washington, is trying to undermine the decisions made by the Republican Party in Alaska and that candidate that he's endorsing, Lisa Murkowski, is not a real Republican, even more than that. That she helped change the voting system so she wouldn't have to face a Republican primary. And I will get into that more later because people are now pushing that agenda, including Frank Luntz, who thinks this is the way to go. And so does every Democrat in the country. California did this, and they can't lose an election. That's how they grabbed complete control of the state. And then you have Frank Luntz out there pushing it. Ignore him. On Thursday, the Alaskan Republican Party's District 9 Central Committee passed a resolution to condemn the Senate Minority Leader's spending on behalf of Senator Lisa Murkowski. By all accounts, it's up to about $9 million he's wasting in Alaska to trash the conservative and to promote the liberal. The incumbent senator running for a fourth full term in the upper chamber is locked in a tight contest against Donald Trump-backed challenger Kelly Shabaka, who is also endorsed by the Alaska Republican Party. Now, we had her on the show. She's brilliant. Another citizen candidate. She is running for a fourth term? It's unbelievable, isn't it? McConnell's super PAC... To reclaim the majority of the Senate leadership fund is spending heavily in the race between two Republicans, which the latest poll shows in a tied match. When you go vote in Alaska, folks, don't vote one and two. Vote for Shabaka, and that's it. And then go on to the next candidates in the next races. See what I'm saying? The Senate Majority Leadership Fund is spending heavily in the race between the two Republicans, which the latest polls show is tied. According to the Anchorage Daily News, McConnell's political operation has poured more than $7 million. All right, $7 million. I stand corrected. It'll be 9 by the time he's done. Into the Alaskan contents. Instead of using that money towards the ripe pickup opportunities in Nevada and Arizona and elsewhere, he's spending millions in Republican donor money to defeat Shabaka, to get Lisa Murkowski elected, these two Republicans, one's a putative Republican, that would be Murkowski, she's a fraud, which money can be used elsewhere. And now why is he doing that? Because she is a McConnellite, she'll do exactly what McConnell wants. That's the bottom line. That's all he cares about is himself. Quote, we request the Senate Leadership Fund immediately stop attack acts against Kelly Shabaka and discontinue all support of Senator Mikowski, District 9 Republicans demanded. And the resolution went on to demand Kentucky GOP leadership censure their senator for meddling in Alaska's party affairs while the minority leader abandons efforts at capturing the majority. While he controls the Kentucky GOP. See, McConnell's an insider. He's a sleazy, old-school, closed-door insider. He's locked up the Republican Party in Kentucky with few exceptions. He's locked up the Republican Party in the Senate. 
through special interests and money and threats because he's been around forever. And he's using Shabaka as a as an example to all Republicans who would dare challenge the people he wants. Unbelievable. Alaska's District 9 committee based in Anchorage is the second state party group to admonish the Kentucky lawmakers interference. According to must read Alaska columnist Suzanne Downing, the first was District 6, a Homer area subdivision of the Alaska GOP. It's September McConnell's PAC re-injected money into the Alaska Senate contest after initially canceling $1.7 million along $8 million stripped from Republican Arizona Senate nominee Blake Masters. Takes the money out of Arizona, puts the money into Alaska. Now McConnell is in love with cinema in Arizona, but is trying to stop Blake Masters in Arizona and trying to elect Lisa Murkowski in Alaska. This is the nut job we're dealing with here. McConnell later pulled another $10 million from the Arizona race, leaving the Republican candidate abandoned by the primary super PAC charged with reclaiming the upper chamber. Both Masters and Shabaka have pledged not to support McConnell for another term in the GOP leadership. That's what McConnell cares about. That's it. The decision to spend scarce resources on an ally in Alaska instead of a tight race in Arizona to bring down a Democrat incumbent drew criticism from former President Donald Trump. And it should. And of course, from me. And of course, it should from you. Mitch McConnell is a disaster. He's got a lot of power through these secretive connections with corporatists, with broadcasting companies, with lobbyists and special interests in and around Washington, D.C. He's a disaster. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Ronald Reagan famously asked, are you better off today than you were four years ago? Are you? Are you better off today than you were four years ago? Even more. Is the nation better off today than it was four years ago? Is the economy better than it was four years ago? Is our handle on crime better today than it was four years ago? Is what is taking place in our classrooms, forget about four years ago, how about two years ago under Trump? Are our classrooms better off today than they were two years ago? The value of the dollar better off today than it was two years ago? Are relations around the world better off today than they were two years ago? Answer that every one of those questions is no. So why in the hell would anybody vote Democrat? For the goodies? Is inflation a goodie? I don't think so. Inflation a goodie? No, I don't think so. Gas prices through the roof, is that a goodie? No, I don't think so. Shortages a goodie? No. Food prices through the roof a goodie? No, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. 
because they're not. So you have a, it's pretty open and shut. I was talking about how they want to change the voting system. And Frank Luntz is all for this. I'm not a big Frank Luntz fan. I'm not actually sure why, uh, why anybody is. Jason Sneed, Executive Director, Honest Elections Project Action over at uh, Daily Caller. The left's latest ploy to remake elections is a complicated scheme called ranked choice voting, and this is what they just did in Alaska. Advocates claim it strengthens majority rule and leads to a healthier democracy, and they've pushed dozens of municipalities in two states to use it. Now Nevada is their latest target. Voters there will decide on election day if they want to join in this nationwide experiment. If experience is any judge, they'd be wise to sit that one out. The measure known as Question 3 eventually passes. If it does, it would have to pass again in 2024. Nevada's traditional election system will be upended. Primary voting will be replaced with California-style jungle primaries. The five candidates who get the most votes will advance to the general, and ranked choice voting would be used to determine the final winner. That sounds simple, but it is far more complex than its proponents make it out to be. Instead of one person, one vote, voters rank multiple candidates from first to last. If no candidate wins a majority of first-place votes, then the lowest-ranked candidate is eliminated. Those votes are redistributed based on each voter's second-place picks. And this process of elimination is repeated until one candidate wins a majority of votes, or at least appears to. Now, so, in other words, you vote down the list, and it could be the fourth person you vote for becomes the second person on the list. That's not representative government. It sounds like a lottery. Under this ranked voting system, if a voter's top pick is eliminated, he has no second-place choice. His ballot is tossed out. Its proponents euphemistically call this ballot exhaustion. A better term is disenfranchisement, since exhausted ballots are simply erased from the final results, as though you never even cast a vote. So many ballots can be thrown out in these elections that candidates can be elected without winning a majority of the votes. That just happened in 2022, Alaska special congressional election. Democratic candidate Mary Peltola won with just 48.4% of the votes cast, yet was able to claim a winning margin of 51.5%. How? Some 11,222 ballots were thrown out after the first round of tabulation, allowing Patola to claim a majority mandate that did not exist. And by the way, the media reported it that way. This is not an isolated problem. Even George Soros-funded advocacy groups like Fair Vote acknowledge that on average nearly one in three voters do not rank multiple candidates in these elections, leading their ballots to be tossed out if their candidate is eliminated. Even more bizarrely, candidates who fail to secure the The most first-place votes can go on to win the election. During the 2010 mayor's race in Oakland, California, the candidate with the most first-place votes lost the election to a candidate on the strength of nearly 25,000 second- and third-place votes after nine rounds of voting. This is nuts. And if California does it, you know it's nuts. And if California does it, you know it's in order to strengthen a one-party Democrat state. And this is what Lisa Murkowski did in Alaska. She must be defeated. 
Nevada, you must defeat question number three. I'll be right back. Just in time for Halloween, the Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi nightmare continues. Call in now, 877-381-3811. By the way, as of now, BB My Story, Benjamin Netanyahu's book is number three on Amazon, number one nonfiction. And he's leading a book by Maggot Haberman, the New York Slimes gossip reporter with her hit job on Donald Trump. She's at number 12. Now, this book list issue at the New York Times is much like voting in 2020. You got to have such a massive, overwhelming vote that the fraud can't defeat you. Because those who do the tallying at the New York Slimes are obviously of that mindset. If you're going to get the book, BB My Story, and I really hope you do, you're really going to, well, I think you're going to thank me, actually. I think you're going to love it. Get it right now. Let's push this book to number one on Amazon. And nobody's going to hate putting it number one on the New York Times bestseller list than the New York Times, which hates BB Netanyahu. And so did Obama. And so did this guy, Jonathan Greenblatt, who heads the Anti-Defamation League. And you heard him for an hour, and you also heard him on my Fox program for an hour. There's nothing to hate. He's one of us. He's a tremendous leader. So I'm just encouraging you, if you're going to get the book, you're thinking about Christmas or Hanukkah or a birthday gift, or just you want to read it, and I would encourage you strongly to read it. BB My Story on Amazon.com. Do it now. So we Levinites do that. If we flood the site, we can get it to number one and uh, get it far above Maggot Haberman and the other maggots. Um, just, just my thought. I would encourage you to do that. One other thing I want to mention. You know, you look at the state of the country, and we have to do everything we can in our own roles and in our own life, each and every one of us. We just can't rely on the RNC and everybody else to save the country. We've reached an incredibly horrible point where we're voting now to try and save the country as a first step. I tune out the left. I'm tuning out the media, all the static. I'm talking to you. People who love this country and are patriots. I said this election is between those who love the country and those who hate it. It's that simple. Bernie Sanders hates the country. AOC hates the country. The media hate the country. They're burning it down. But we love the country. You're more intelligent than these other people. You're you're more rational than these other people. But wouldn't you do anything for your kids and grandkids? Wouldn't you do anything? I mean, those of us who are old enough, we leave wills, right? Whatever you set up. Because you want to figure out, even if you don't have a lot, you want to take care of your family. If a family member calls you on the phone and they need help, I mean, and they're in serious trouble... 
you'll drop everything to protect your kid, your grandkid, your spouse. We have complete strangers who managed to get elected to office or appointed to positions in a massive bureaucracy who are destroying the country and destroying it for every generation that follows us. That doesn't even have a say in what's going on. No say whatsoever. We have men and women and we've had men and women who have fought and died for this country. They've lost limbs for this country. They've gone blind for this country. They've lost their hearing for this country. We see them on TV with tunnels to towers and wounded warriors and so many more. Paralyzed veterans of America. It's horrible. It's terrible. The people who are trying to destroy this country have contributed nothing to this country. They appreciate nothing that's come before. They dismiss it. Because their ideology doesn't permit patriotism. And they have a home, a political home in the Democrat Party, and they always have. Those of you who are Democrats seriously need to rethink this. This is a party that's core, fundamental belief system is based on Marxism. You're not a Marxist. Well, I'm a moderate. No, 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 you don't understand. They've purified their party. They've cleansed their party of so-called true moderates. John Kennedy couldn't get elected dog catcher in the Democrat Party today. There's no question about it. They've not only abandoned their principles such as they were, they've abandoned America. And so you need to look in the mirror and you need to decide what can I do in my life and my role for this election, the election of elections. Please don't say, what can we do? Because that means you're not going to do anything on your own. You're not going to be personally responsible for anything. That's not Americanism. That's not the old Yankee spirit. What can you do? Maybe work a phone bank. Maybe stuff envelopes. Maybe just go down the street and talk to neighbors who you know are fairly conservative or Republican and ask them if they need a hand to get to the polls. Make sure they vote. And folks, if you have early voting in your state, take advantage of it. Exploit it. That's exactly what the Democrats would do to us. But please do something more than you normally would do. Please. And then we'll deal with holding the Republican Party accountable. Because it needs to be held accountable. It's one step at a time. This is a big battle. And it's going to go on beyond my lifetime and beyond the lifetime of some of you. Why are we doing this? Why must you do this? I want you to take some time tonight and look at your children, which you do anyway. If you have grandchildren, look at your grandchildren or at least think about them. They need your protection. They're not going to get it from teachers in the classroom. They're not going to get it on the violent streets of America. They're not going to get it from some government program out of Washington, D.C. They're going to get it from you. 
you need to protect their inheritance. And by that, I don't mean your money and your property, which you do, of course. Their inheritance. Their constitution. Their declaration of independence. The Bill of Rights that is intended to protect them. The civil society. The capitalist system so they can prosper and be successful. You need to protect your children from perversity and sexuality that's being forced on them. From questioning their own biology. From being ripped from your family psychologically. From being the targets of new racism. You need to protect your children and your grandchildren. You need to take an active role in this. It's all coming to a head now. It's all coming to a head. You have never heard from me. 20 years of doing this. You have never heard from me that I'm a cheerleader for the Republican Party. That I'm a special pleader. But this election is different. I'm not a special pleader and I'm not a cheerleader, except for this country. And you folks, I feel like we represent each other. The only way to stop the Democrats is to vote for Republicans. And then we will do everything we can, you and me, to hold their feet to the fire. But we can't hold their feet to the fire while the other party is engaged in utterly and completely alien and hostile policy tactics that are destroying our country. They have as their goal to destroy your lifestyle. They're clinging on to climate change, open borders, brainwashing your little ones, brainwashing them to their party's ideology, serving them pornography. So bad, I can't play it on this radio show because I don't want to. And parents can't even read it at board meetings. But it'll be handed to little fifth grader Johnny and Sally. Or Muhammad or whomever. What can I do? Not what can we do? You parents, you rose to the occasion in Virginia in New Jersey, and other parts of the country a short one year ago. You must rise to the occasion today. You folks who worked in the Tea Party movement over a decade ago, we need you back. We need you. Desperately. You Reaganites who brought in the Reagan revolution, I know we're long in the tooth. Doesn't matter. Parents and grandparents, We need you desperately. And you MAGA Trump supporters, and there's a lot of overlap here, I understand it. God bless you, and we need you desperately. They have ripped and smeared and character assassinated all of us at one point or another. And the people we've gotten behind at one point or another. 
But this election will determine whether we begin the process of clawing our way back or whether the American people want to be ruled by tyrants. Are there more of us or there more of them? This is not an election to sit out and watch. Because the policies that are coming from Washington are affecting each and every one of you in very specific ways and are going to destroy the freedom, prosperity, and security of this country for your children and grandchildren. Don't you think about that from time to time? I know you do. I know you do. What will this country be like in five years, 10 years, 20 years, and when I'm dead and gone? What will my kids inherit? What will my grandkids inherit? This will be the first time in American history where our children and grandchildren inherit a country that is less free, less prosperous, less safe than the one that we that we received. That can't be our legacy, can it? Please. Be motivated. Be spirited. Be vigorous. Start tonight. Start tomorrow. We have less than three weeks left. They're plotting. They're scheming. They're planning. That's what they do. The other side is vile. But we patriots can win out. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, folks, when I first got into talk radio 20 years ago, nobody was getting involved in primary elections. Nobody was getting involved in these House and Senate races. It was just something that wasn't done. You remember that, Mr. Producer? Nobody was taking on the Republican establishment. John Boehner was everybody's friend. Paul Ryan was everybody's friend. It just didn't happen until I came on the scene. This isn't a put-down of anybody. I'm just telling you that it seems almost commonplace today. It was not commonplace. The things we've done with this show over the years are quite revolutionary. And I told you, I'm mission-oriented. That's what I do, and that's what my life is about. And I can't be more thankful and blessed that you're out there, too. And you see what's going on, too. I use every platform I have. This one, Levin TV, Fox, and my books. At different levels. Different types of scholarship, different types of discussion, but they're all focused on the same thing, are they not? Our survivability as a free people. Very quickly, before the end of the program, there's a little five-year-old out there. He's just turned five today, my grandson, Asher. I want to wish him the happiest of happy birthdays. He's our grandson, Asher. Our granddaughter, Sloan, is out there, too. They're just two precious little kids. We love them. So we wish you a happy birthday, Asher, our grandson, five years old today, the son of my daughter, Lauren, and my son-in-law, Nick, two fabulous parents. And I'll see you tomorrow. God bless. God bless.